0: First Corinthians chapter 13, or 15 today, and as we look at the resurrected body that's coming for, that the Lord is going to give us, dovetails very well with what we're going to be doing at the uh, BTI tonight on the theological arena concerning the end time uh, documents and, and teachings of scripture, and uh, if you're, you're welcome to come to that, you don't have to have come to those other classes. And you don't have to necessarily take it for any kind of credit or test or anything. You can just come and enjoy that if you'd like to. So that's tonight along with all the other things going on. Make sure you read your bulletin about that. You know, a number of years ago it became very popular for people to claim they had died and gone to heaven and came back. And they gave all sorts of stories. And this is not brand new, it, all the way back to the Civil War where people were claiming these things. But it had become much more popular recently so uh, it uh, there's by now there's hundreds even thousands of testimonies you can read on the internet of people who claim they've gone to heaven a few gone to hell and come back and they're giving their testimonies of what has happened and so forth but uh, I would caution you to not take that for uh, for what face value at all because those testimonies contradict one another they contradict scripture they're subjective uh, they're, they're not reliable whatsoever. They have no validity, I believe. I think they're a, they're a trap. I could talk about that on another occasion, but don't follow those things. A matter of fact, when we look at scripture, at the few people that did die and come back, Lazarus being the best known, uh, he didn't come back and give a testimony. He didn't get a book deal. Uh, he, you know, he, he didn't have a movie. He didn't, uh, he didn't make the circuit telling everybody all his great experience. As far as we know, he can re- could remember nothing that took place while he was in the the realms of glory and I think that's the picture we have of scripture that we should follow and so if we're we're relying on these kinds of uh, subjective experiences we're in trouble but we're not we have a reliable authoritative Word of God that tells us what the future is like and so today we turn to a passage of scripture that is the most comprehensive passage in all the Word of God on what we will be like in heaven uh, for those who know Christ and what when we go to be with him so I'm excited about moving to this part. We've already noticed that uh, the Greeks didn't like this idea of the body. Uh, the, the Greek people, the, the Greek philosophers, the Romans and so forth did not appreciate the, a body, period. And the church at Corinth had had absorbed that kind of theology and that philosophy, and they weren't interested in a body either. They did, they did not want a bodily resurrection. The Greeks, the Greeks actually felt it was ridiculous to uh, want a body in the afterlife. Uh, Socrates says, if we were to have pure knowledge of anything, we must be quit of the body. So, if you want to know anything, we got to get rid of our bodies. Uh, some, including Socrates, believed in some form of reincarnation, but uh, but to have to have a body in eternity was not something desirable. Uh, is not something they wanted. Do you even recall the, the Jewish Sad- Sadducees, one of the ruling bodies of the Jews, did not believe in a bodily resurrection, and so uh, so that was true in the Jewish circuit as well but the greek philosophers understood that the human being was made up of soul and body but the body was a prison house for the soul and they couldn't wait to be rid of the prison house so the body the soul could be released and it would be released to uh, to go back to uh, the big the, the fireball the divine fire and uh, they would ultimately become stars in the universe that was the uh, mythology that was very popular at that time. And so the, the Greeks uh, said, good riddance to the body. We don't want a body. And so the, when Paul began to write about this, uh, it wasn't accepted very well. And even in the Old Testament, uh, you'll note in the Old Testament scriptures, there's very little said about a body in, a, in, in only two or three places, he even mentioned the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. And so it was stupid to some of these people to think that God is gonna raise people from the dead. And that's uh, the question he's after here. Paul's going to address two questions, both found in verse 35 of chapter 15. But someone will say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? And people have been asking those questions ever since, and even before. If people are going to be resurrected, how is it going to work? And what kind of body are they going to have? And it seems so ridiculous uh, to uh, think that that's going to happen. Uh, people have suggested or questioned, well, what happens, of course you, you can't take the worst case scenario, what happened if 3,000 years ago some guy on a ship died and they threw him overboard, buried at sea, a shark ate him, eliminated him, something ate the elimination and they've been going on for thousands of years. You're going to tell me that body's going to be resurrected? That's ridiculous, right? Well, Paul didn't seem to think so. And that's why he's answering these questions right here. He's going to do so through two means. He's going to give us a series of four illustrations. And then he's going to give us divine revelation. So the revel- the illustrations are common knowledge. These are things people knew and uh, and could relate to. And he's going to build on those illustrations. So let's look at them. The first one is an is re- illustration concerning the seed that is dying. Verse 36, he says... You fool, what shall you sow? That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So the seed dying. I want you to know how you started out. You fools. I don't recommend our Sunday school teachers start that way. Uh, On Wednesday night when people are asking questions of various things, if I said turned around and said, you fool, uh, that would would cause several possibilities. Uh, None of them very pleasant. And so uh, that isn't a real good idea. Why Paul did this is uh, is I don't know for sure, but it doesn't mean a, a moral failure. It means a stupidity. It means a, here. In other words, he's saying you should know this. These are things you know. I don't need to tell you these things. I'm going to tell you to you anyway, but you should know these things already. You're you're being foolish in your thinking here, and that's kind of what he's saying here. And he says, you know, when you plant a seed, it. it, it it dies it goes into the ground it dies and out of that that dead seed comes forth that plant the seed fades away and dies as the plant grows up and uh, a new plant comes and the people who knew all about this kind of things uh, would have understood that. I've never been much of a gardener and so I go by what I've tried and what I've read or whatever if somebody's told me but the few attempts I made at gardening, I remember we had a garden at one time. I did. I wanted to do a lot of produce and different things, and I had some open space. And I said, "Well, maybe I'll put some radishes out." So I bought a little package of radishes. I opened up and looked, and these things are—you can't hardly see them. They're just so tiny. So I thought, "I don't know." So I just threw them all out there. Well, within a few weeks, I had thousands of radishes, and I don't even like radishes. You know. The, but the, the little seeds, little tiny things, didn't look like a radish, did they? They looked like a, a, it's a little seed. It went into the ground. It died. The radish came up, or actually laid in the ground until I picked it out, and I didn't know what to do with it then. But I threw most of them in the yard. But uh, nevertheless, that's how it works. Um, illustration number two, verses 37 and 38. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and each of the seeds a body of its own. Here's the second illustration. The seed that's planted are, is related but different from the fruit, from the crop. And so that's the second question. Now we're going to be start dealing with what kind of body are we going to have in the future? The point here is that the resurrection is not just a reconstruction. The resurrection... Is, uh, is, is connected to this body we have now, but not like this body. It's different than this body. So he's giving us a, a not, not the, he's not telling us everything we might wanna know, but he's telling us quite a little bit. Uh, so he uses this illustration. You cannot tell by looking at a seed what, the, what it's gonna produce. You, you may, but you get a hint and you see a connection. So Paul uses the illustration of wheat. Well, I'm gonna use the illustration of corn because we're surrounded by corn here, right? And everybody knows something about corn. So you, if, you know, if you don't know what corn is, you know, I don't know who you would, could possibly be, but look out the door when you go to the left and you'll see our, the corn crop over here. And when they planted that in the spring, they took little, little corn that looks like you know kernels of corn. They're seeds, they put them in the ground. When they grew up, they didn't come out as a gigantic corn kernel. Wouldn't that look weird? Just a bunch of corn kernels out there. Instead, we have these seven foot, eight foot tall stalks, with each have two little corns, uh, uh, ears of corn hanging on them. And if you go over there and you open them up, what you find is these little seeds that look a whole lot like the seed they put in the ground several months ago. So there's a connection. You see the connection, but, you don't, but they're not identical to what we planted in the ground. And the same is true of almost anything. Think of an acorn in an oak tree. Acorns drop these oak trees, a squirrel picks up an acorn, buries it in the ground, forgets about it. Years later you have a gigantic oak that's going to live a hundred years and be a hundred feet tall, and it doesn't look like the acorn, does it? But it'll be dropping acorns for the rest of time. Uh, how about those maple trees in your front yard? The, how badly do they want to reproduce? I mean, come on, give us a break here, sometime. All these little little caterpillars, and yet... the maple, huh? helicopters well yeah the caterpillars they died but the the helicopters so the helicopters keep floating down and and they and when the maple tree grows up it doesn't look like a helicopter or a caterpillar it looks like a tree but it's gonna drop those silly what are they helicopters forever okay there's a connection you see a connection but it's not exactly the same that's what Paul's saying here Uh, the seed is in the ground there's a connection, there's a similarity, but they're not the same. And our bodies in the future will not be the same. Illustration number three, the animal world. Look at verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one flesh of men and another of beast and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Paul is obviously not an evolutionist. He sees the distinctions between the animals, between the species here the evolutionists tell us that uh, these animals that we see today went through evolutionary cycles, slowly evolving to what they are today and, and to fit the needs that they have now. But what happened in the meanwhile? You ever think about that? Uh, while they were ev- evolving, how did they get along? Uh, seems a little difficult to me. The biblical picture is God custom made every creature the way he wanted to make them. And, and they were fit for, the, for how he designed them to be fit. And that's why we're, we're not in evolutionary process you don't see people walking around with, with feathers coming out of their head uh, our scales on their I mean, they might be itchy a little bit but not the fish scales and you don't have gills hanging out the side even though I'm a gilly it's, we don't have gills I don't know what we might have been in the past but I got a feeling we didn't have gills we, 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 are, we are human beings and God created human beings differently than fish and birds and so forth and that's his illustration here God created people, things as he saw fit and as a result of that in eternity, you and I are going to be exactly what he wants us to be. We're going to be created, and, and our new bodies are going to be exactly what he wanted them to be, and we're going to be unique, and so forth for one another. And he follows that up with, ver- with the fourth illustration, which at first doesn't seem to fit, and that is the illustration of the universe, verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another there is one glory of man, and another glory of the moon, a sun, I mean, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. But the stars differ from stars in glory. So the fourth illustration we have here in verses forty and forty-one have to do with the planets and the universe. Each is different. Look at the uniqueness of our of our world. Uh, everything everything is unique. So much uniqueness. Uh, and yet, similarities in some ways. We see that in the animal body world, and we see that in the planetary world as well. Paul's making two points here, I think, and these are very important points when it comes to the resurrection of the dead. Number one, the the issue of the resurrection isn't a big deal if God exists. So that's the issue, not how can people be resurrected, you know, how is that even possible? The issue is if there is a God, an all-powerful, all-wise, sovereign God, then resurrection for the dead is no big deal. And Paul is definitely making that point at this point. The second point he's making is that in the eternal state we'll be different from one another. There'll be uniqueness and distinction, but there will be differences as well. I want you to run back to Psalm 19. We just have to look at this well-known passage, Psalm 19, where he talks about nature and what we, what we see in nature, what the, the Corinthians saw in nature, what everybody sees in nature. I want you to note what God says about that in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 19 actually deals with two forms of revelation that God gives us. Natural revelation found in the universe and in nature around us and in our own, our own consciences, and then biblical revelation is found in Scripture. The first half deals with natural revelation. Look at just two verses. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What the psalmist said, and Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 1, and I think he's picking up on it here, is the people who reject Christ, not only reject Christ in the gospel, they reject the obvious natural revelation they see every day. How do you walk out in nature and see all that's out there, all that complexity, all that beauty, all the, all the, all the stuff that's in nature and not see the handiwork of God? This passage of scripture tells us that, that nature is, pour, is speaking every day. It is pouring forth speech concerning the glory of God and only those who are intentionally blind could possibly miss that. Because it's always there. Everybody sees it at all times. And so as, we, as he says that God is revealing himself in this way. And so as we go back to our passage of scripture, we have this, this nature that is there. And so we look up into nature. And what do we see? And during the day we see all this stuff that is there at night. Uh, the lights go out and we look up into the sky. And we see the, all these stars and all that God has made. When we took our vacation recently to Utah uh, one of the things we wanted to do is get to a place where there was no lights at night. And you could look up into the heavens and see those stars and that moon and it was gorgeous when we had that opportunity to do that. And and you look at the millions of stars, you can't even count them. Uh, Who did that? How could that possibly be? Well, it's because God has made it and everyone is unique. The more we know about each individual star or planet, we know the uniqueness of all that God has made. As we look at nature, the uniqueness of trees and bugs and insects and mammals and fish, the uniqueness is there, and yet at the same time there is a connection as well. And then we look at ourselves now. If we think about our bodies now compared to our bodies in the future, look at the uniqueness we have now in, in our bodies. Uh, some of you have been like me. You've, gone, you've been on a flight and you've got a, a long delay or a layover, and you you set at the airport for several hours. Now, if you've ever done that, you know that after a few hours, there's nothing left to do. I mean, you're just about to die there, you know. And so you start looking around, and I just, I'm an observer, I start looking around at all the people, the thousands of people at the airport, and you start looking at them. You know something that this is very, very profound, it shows how smart I am. Everybody looks different. So, isn't that profound? Yeah, everybody has, but everybody has, almost everybody has two eyes and a nose and a mouth and a couple of ears, and, uh, and I'm just looking at the head so far, and hair to a certain extent, and uh, you put all that together, and yet, how could it possibly be that we only have those six things or so, and everybody has them, and yet everybody looks different? What, a, what an unbelievable thing. And so we're, we're giving this illustration of what we're going to be like in heaven with him, we're going, to be, we're going to have resurrected bodies, but we're going to be unique in that. What a glorious thing to consider that he's done. So that's his illustrations. And now he moves through. He's going to answer these questions from verse 35. What kind of body will come? By going now to Revelation. So far we have looked at the planet, planets, the animal life, the universe, and so forth. Uh, but uh, now he moves to Revelation. All that we've seen so far, all all these illustrations are things we know, things we have seen, things we can observe. Okay, that's why he said you're you're being stupid to, to not recognize these things. Now he's going to tell us information that it cannot be observed and no place anywhere, even in the scriptures, is this information found except right here. And in these few verses, he tells us what we're going to be like in heaven for those that know Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look at them. First of all, he gives us characteristics of the resurrected body. So when you ask the question, what am I going to be like in heaven? What is my resurrected body going to be like? Paul gives us four characteristics of that. We already know it's going to be unique. You're going to be unique. Your personality is going to be unique. Your looks are going to be unique and so forth. You're not going to be like others. But we also have four characteristics that is going to be true of every resurrected body who is in heaven with Christ. Number one, we're going to have an imperishable and sometimes translated incorruptible body. Look at verse 42. He says, So also in the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. Now we were born dying. Our bodies are constantly in in the process of decay. The destiny of every human is death. It's not a very pleasant thought, but it's a true thought. No matter how rich we are or powerful or whatever, or famous we might be, when it comes to death, we're all on equal footing. Everybody is going to die. It is appointed in a man once to die, and after that we face the judgment of God. People have tried to get around that in all sorts of ways. I remember seeing a Twilight Zone illustration once, story once, where an old rich man dying, traded places with a very young man who had nothing because by trading those bodies, they, he could live for years and years to come. And, when they, and, he, and you can do that in the Twilight Zone, by the way. All right? so, so he did that, and the young man immediately realized he made a mistake because he had all this wealth, all this money, but he was dying. It did him no good. Well, the older fellow was a young man starting over and he had a long time to live. Now, people like those kind of fantasies, but you only do it in the twilight zone. You don't do it in reality. In reality, you are going to die. And that is a hard thing for people to grasp sometimes, but that is absolutely true. And not only are we going to die physically, we're going to die spiritually. A matter of fact, we're born dead spiritually, separated from God. We live our lives separated from God, dead spiritually. And if we continue in that state, when we die, we go into eternity separated from God forever, spiritually dead forever. Think about that. So you put it together, we're dying physically, we're already dead spiritually. And if we go out of this, uni- out of this world dead spiritually, we spend our eternity in hell, we're in a mess. If you don't get that point, rethink it a little bit. Humanity is in a mess we're dying and we're going to die physically and spiritually we're dead as well. What a mess. But look at this verse of scripture. We're sown a perishable dying body, but we're resurrected in an imperishable body. One that does not cor- get corrupted, one that does not decay, one that never dies. And spiritually speaking, uh, it, we live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are spiritually alive, eternal life is what Jesus promised us all the way back into the Gospels, believe on me and you will have eternal life. And so death is replaced by eternal life. A body We're gonna be given then a body that will never die. Mankind has searched the whole world over to find immortality, but listen to this, God gives it as a gift. You can search, you can research, you can pay good money. You can do whatever you want to do. You can have all your fantasies. But you cannot extend your life one second beyond what God wants you to extend it. You are going to die. You're going to face God. And you are. if you do not know Christ, you'll face eternity without him. But God gives that as a gift. For all who will trust in him for eternal life, who will come to him and for the forgiveness of their sins, believe on him, and he will save you. And you and all we're talking about today is yours, in eternity. Second thing, second characteristic is glorified. Verse forty-three: It is sown in dishonor; it's raised in glory. Our present bodies are characterized by dishonor and humility, and this covers all the sinful and worthy circumstances of life. Uh, man has dishonored; is dishonored by sin. The very and it is amazing the dilemma of humanity. The dichotomy of humanity, I might say, where we are able sometimes to, to rise to great heights and do great things, and we're, are the same person is able to do atro- atrocious things and dishonoring and horrible things. Uh, in recent days, we've had a lot of people, a lot of Christian leaders who have fallen morally and in other ways. These have been people very prominent. They're well known. Uh, as far as we could tell, they were doing a good work, some of them for Christ, And then they did something horrible, something that dishonored them, something that disqualified them from from ministry. And we look at such people and we have to assess that. Were these people all phonies? Were they they all charlatans? Were they all out there just to, to trick us? Some of them were. But I think a lot of them were really walking with God at one time and serving God, but for whatever reason, they allowed their fleshly humanity to gain the upper hand and they did horrible things. That's a dilemma that you and I face in this world. We're sown, he says, in dishonor. And we, none of us deserve honor very well. All of us are flawed and failing people. But we're going to be raised in glory. We're going to be raised not only spiritually, but physically. The, the, the Corinthians could buy the spiritual resurrection, but the physical resurrection... Maybe not. They're not necessarily wanted that. But, but it says here that we're sown in dishonor. You know, the most beautiful person that ever walked the earth one day uh, will we'll fade away in time. And the most beautiful person that ever walked the earth is nothing in beauty and glory compared to the creatures that will be in eternity. This is God's promise, I think, to us. And I want you to go to Philippians chapter 3. We have to read these two verses uh, in this context Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 We have another hint here of what will be like It says in 3:20 For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also we uh, which we also eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. What are we looking forward to? The transformation of our body into the glory of the body of Christ. In other words, uh, we we get a glimpse of what we will be like by looking at the resurrected body of Christ. We're going to be conformed to that image in in eternity with him. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Going back to our passage... It tells us also we're going to have a powerful body. Verse 43 again. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Weakness, uh, our physical life, we're weak. We, we, some of us like to think we're strong. I think the, uh, the coronavirus was an eye-opener for a lot of people who thought they were physically invincible. That nothing was going to take them down. That usually were younger people who thought they, they couldn't get sick. They couldn't die. But some did. They were killed by a virus they couldn't even see. And that shows our weaknesses. We are fragile people. Uh, Even those that are relatively strong face disease and disappointment and failure and heartache and finally death. Try to go about three days without sleep and see how strong you are. See how 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 your emotions hold up in that kind of thing. We are weak creatures. We're sown in weakness. Only our, our pride makes us think we're strong. But in our resurrected body, we're raised with power. We're raised to a life of power. It's a power given to us by God. It's not derived from our own, but nevertheless, it is a power. And that uh, we'll never again face the sting of death, never again the bitterness of disappointment, never again the shame of sin, never again the fertilities of our efforts, never again the discomfort of sickness, Old things have passed away; behold, new things have come. We will live in a sphere of power. Fourth characteristic is spiritual. Verse forty-four: It is sown a natural body; it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, and this confuses some people. Paul is not saying that in heaven we're spirits. If, he, if he's doing that, he's contradicted everything he said in the whole chapter. So, what is he saying? Well, the clue is that he uses this word spiritual, the same Greek word back in chapters two and three to describe the person walking with God. Those who are spiritual are those who are walking with Christ. Those who are living in conformity to his will. Those who are growing in him. These are spiritual people. That's the same word. And so he's saying here, as much as we try to be spiritual here, we always are flawed. We always come short. But there we have, will have a spiritual body Always in alignment with the will of God. Always walking with Him. Always in tune with Him spiritually. So there's never any vacillation in our spiritual life. It's a spiritual body in that sense. And dropping down to verse 49, it says, Just as we are born the image of the earthly, so we'll also bear the image of the heavenly. As we've lived this life here in this earthly existence and bodies, so one day we will bear the image of the heavenly. And that will be our spiritual resurrected body that he gives us. And so in our resurrected body, Paul is described here, the spiritual body has two sources. That, it, From Paul's description, we know what it's like. And from looking at what Jesus' resurrected body is, was like, we have a hint at what we will be like as well. And so those are the four characteristics not found anywhere else in scripture that we know about, we can bank on, they're authoritative, and we love them. And then there's one more thing as he closes down. He wants to give us a distinction between the natural body and the resurrected body. a distinction between the two. And then, then we have these verses 45 to 49 that are a little bit complicated, but let me, try, let me try to unravel them. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul, then the last, man, last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have become, we have borne the image of the earthly, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly. The contrast between Christ and Adam is found several times in the New Testament. Paul talked about it back in verse 22 already whenever adam is brought up in these contexts he represents humanity fallen humanity humanity that is sinful humanity that has rebelled against god and humanity that will die and that's how the, the, the adam is used in these contexts in the new testament christ on the other hand is a contrast to adam he is the last adam it says here he is a new man, uh, the second man and he represents something totally new. He's a totally new kind of person. And that is the righteous person who knows Christ. Those in Adam die. They die physically. They die spiritually. They die eternally. Those in Christ live, live in him now. We have newness of life now. We'll have newness of life in eternity. We'll be with him forever in our resurrected bodies. Those who are in Christ. These are the two possible situations to this person that Paul's been speaking to then he's saying this that at one time right now in our earthly existence we are frail we're sinful but one day we'll be having imperishable glorified powerful spiritual bodies that we'll live in forever with him and only those however who know Jesus Christ as their savior can take these promises to heart If you don't know Christ, you don't have these things. If if you don't know Christ, you don't have this glorified, resurrected body. You face eternal death. One of the most interesting conversion experiences I've ever read that is true comes from a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Judson was one of the pioneer missionaries who went out in the early 1800s. He would spend almost all of his adult life in Burma pioneering the way for missionary work of the future, s- sacrificing so many things for the cause of Christ, and he's highly honored, honored today by God's people because of that. But he was not a believer early in his life. He re- was raised in a godly home. He knew the truth. He knew the gospel, but he rejected it. He went off to college. And he got involved with a bunch of kids that, that uh, rejected it as well, and some of them were much more radical than him. His mentor and favorite friend was a guy named Jacobs Eams. Uh, and Jacob was a man who uh, totally rejected God, hated God, cursed God, lived a godless life on purpose, and he led Adonai and Judson into that lifestyle and so forth. He he was responsible for Judson spiraling down uh, in his in his lo- life and turning totally away from all the things that he had once knew as a young man. But having grown up in a home that taught him the truth. Judson often felt guilt, and his conscience bothered him, and, and, uh, and so even though he was living this godless life at age 20, going to college and so forth, and he got involved in a, in a theatrical group that was even worse, but his conscience kept bothering him, he, he knew something was wrong. He knew he knew he was out of step with God, but he did not want to change because his friends, and especially Jacob Eames, he, he would make fun of him, and he would say, you're, you're crazy, And so he headed home one day, just to go home. He he knew he needed to do something, so he went home. And on the in the process, he stopped at a wayside inn. And while he was there, he took a room, slept the night, but he didn't sleep much. All night long, in a room next to him was a was what he thought was an old man dying. He groaned and moaned all night long. And as 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 Judson listened to him, he knew he was dying. He just had to be dying. And all, all night long he thought, what about my death? What if I were to die? What would happen? And the word kept coming to him, lost. I would be lost. The next morning he got up, he went to the clerk, and he said, oh, what happened to the man next to me last night? Well, what happened to that old fellow? What, what, what happened? He said, well, he died this morning, but he wasn't an old man, he was about your age. And Judson said, what is his name and he wasn't anywhere near the college or the, anywhere where he usually lived and he doesn't even know why he asked that question he says what was his name well you know what it was Jacob Eames and when that happened that was like a knife in his heart he went home he did not receive Christ he went home and for three months he lived in in mental and spiritual agony for three months he wrestled with God for three months he thought about life and death And for three months, that word lost came to his heart and his mind time and time and time and time again. He was lost. And he knew he was lost. And he knew if he died like Jacob, he was gone forever. And finally, after three months of that agony, he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin. He had lived a horrible life, a godless life, a blasphemous life. But Christ saves people like that. And he saved people Uh, Judson that night and the rest is history as he would go forth to proclaim Christ in a way that few had done up until that time you know you might be in that situation today we've looked at the glories of eternal life and a resurrected body and all God has for you if you know him but maybe you are lost maybe you don't know Christ those old fashioned words people don't use those anymore even in churches but according to scripture and according to the story of the prodigal son my son was lost, but now he's found. And you can be found right now by, uh, by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. And you can know him and live with him forever. Eternal life can come by believing and placing your faith in Christ. If you've not done that, would you please talk to us before you leave? We'd love to show you how you can know how to be found. Father, these are wonderful passages of Scripture, just to be able to to realize what you have planned for your children, and for most of us in this room, what a what a glorifying, wonderful thing. We thank you. I pray, Father, for any that might be here today, that um, do not know you. I pray, Lord, for their life. Pray that they would come to you, uh, even now. And uh, Lord, I, I just got word a moment ago that area, Ariel, area lutchman has fallen and may have broken her leg and so i just want to pray for this little girl right now lord that uh, if that's no matter what it is it's a it's a bad fall i pray for her for recovery for her parents as they tend to her right now and we hope that she is is well we just pray for that tonight in jesus name amen